Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. I am Brian Peacock alongside the scout Matt Williamson. We've got a special guest on today's show, Kyle Krabs of the Draft Dudes podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network and DraftNetwork.com. You can find this show and all of your favorite podcast apps. Tell a friend about all of the NFL coverage, MLB, NBA, hockey, college coverage, of course, NFL draft coverage right here on the network. You can find me on Twitter at BDPeacock. Matt is at Williamson NFL. Let's get right to it with today's guest. We recently talked with his co-host, Joe Marino, who also works at the Draft Network uh, about the Buffalo Bills. But now we've got Kyle, the better half of that podcast. <laughs> On the show today, we are getting deep into the NFL draft here. So, Kyle, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm excited to get into this portion of the offseason. Now that the Super Bowl's done, the season's over, it's your time to shine. Yeah, listen, it, they're your words, not mine. Better half of draft dudes. <laughs> but I really appreciate you guys carving out some time. Looking forward to talking ball with you as, as always. Kyle, I got a question. We're going to talk running backs today, folks. We've been promising you some draft coverage, and we're going to bring it to you hot and heavy from here all through April. I think it, you know, I understand that mocks usually aren't trade related. And I was just talking to you before we, you know, hit record that you guys have a very fun mock right now that people should check out with trades and trade proposals. But I really think when it's all said and done, your Dolphins have very little chance of getting Tua at five. And it wouldn't shock me if Herbert, Tua, and Burrow all end up in the top five with either Washington, of course, they're the most unlikely, the Lions and or the Giants all fielding some serious calls for those guys. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, you know, the the Tunga Viola party has kind of played the healing of his hip close to the vest. And they've openly said the combine will be a big week for them. And and Tua said at the Super Bowl week in Miami, he's looking to win the combine from a medical's perspective. And if he comes out of the other side of that uh, with a green light and a thumbs up from a medical perspective, I think you'll really start to see the urgency. And it's, it's really fun because we've pegged these top two picks as being Joe Burrow and Chase Young. And, you know, a lot of my colleagues at the Draft Network, when we talk, we talk about how the draft kind of starts at three. And then you've got teams like Detroit, who's a question mark with what they do with Matt Stafford, Miami at five, the Chargers at six, the Panthers at seven. There's rumors and whispers about where the Raiders are feeling about Derek Carr as a team at 12 that's already got two first round picks. So like, there's a a lot of pressure here in the back half of the top 10 that makes it a really, really fun dynamic for us to see. Is somebody going to get really aggressive and, and make this preemptive move before the draft starts? Yeah, yeah, and I think Washington would be wise. I know that Young's a special player, but you just drafted Sweat. You're bringing in a new coach. You really need to surround Haskins with guys. I would listen. I mean, if I could get three or four prominent picks and attack a bevy of needs, I would listen at least. But the Lions, they can move down a handful of spots and still either get the corner or Simmons, likely. And the Giants can move down a few spots and – get some sort of tackle that's a, a premier player or Simmons. So I think they're in great spots to really, you know, maximize where they're at. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Detroit, especially as a team that has a little bit of pressure to win now, you know, there's been some conversation on, you know, do they hit reset on the quarterback and try and buy themselves an extended window? But 
it would really behoove them, you know, if they make a deal with Miami or the Chargers, hypothetically, you could see them pick the exact same player at five or six that they were going to take at three yeah. anyway and stock up on additional draft picks. So I think that makes all the sense in the world. They're the team that makes the most sense to move. It's just a question of how much can they milk and leverage this. And that's part of why I think they're kind of teasing the move from Stafford. I think they're trying to get themselves a little bit of leverage here in trade negotiations and create more urgency for the teams that want to jump up to three. Kyle, I am interested in the offensive tackle position in this draft because it seems like every mock draft I see, every big board I see, and by the way, Kyle's big board recently dropped there at thedraftnetwork.com, or was recently updated, I should say. These guys are way ahead of the game at the draft network. And it seems to be in a different order at the top. And just about every team in the NFL needs offensive linemen, needs an offensive tackle. We're going to talk running backs later. Running backs can't do their thing unless you've got the guys up front blocking for them, you look at a team like the New York Giants, everyone wants to plug an offensive tackle in there. Is there even an offensive tackle that's worthy of a top five, top 10 pick in this draft? And in your opinion, who would that tackle be? Yeah, uh, my stacking of the offensive tackles for the top four, the general consensus top four, I have Jedrick Wills as the top one at number seven on my most recent board update. Uh, Tristan Wirfs is next in line, Mackay Becton from Louisville, and then Andrew Thomas, all four of those players being top 20 overall players for me. Uh, Wills, I think, is the best pass protector of the group. I think he's got the biggest impact in the way the game is played right now, but then there's that question of he's playing on the right side of the offensive line. He played with a left-handed quarterback, so he was the blindside quarterback at Alabama. Do you want to move sides? Is that That becomes a question, so... That's what I think makes this kind of a pick-your-poison type proposition for these offensive tackles. There's some people that think Tristan Wirfs should kick inside and play at guard. I'd like to give him the chance to play at tackle first and then know that if that doesn't work out, he's probably the most likely to translate cleanly to playing the guard position. Makai Becton is kind of a one-year wonder-style player, but man, when the light came on for him this year, uh, props to Scott Satterfield and his staff there at Louisville. They really had him playing at a dominant level. And then Andrew Thomas is uh, a left tackle, but I think he's a little bit more stiff. I, I don't like him in vertical pass sets as much. So I think he's a little bit more scheme-specific than some of the other guys. But if you were asking me who's the premier offensive tackle in this year's class, for me, it's Jedrick Wills, and I would feel comfortable with him on either side of the line of scrimmage. There's a guy at the Senior Bowl that really jumped for me, and I'm getting into this draft process a little bit late with the team I cover going to the Super Bowl, and it was Josh Jones. You have him ranked eight among offensive tackles. He seemed like a guy that looked like one of those players that maybe people wouldn't have been talking about a lot right now if it wasn't for his performance at the Senior Bowl, even though mm -hmm. some of the tape I've watched looked really good too. Is he someone that sneaks into the end of the first round for some of those good playoff teams that are looking for an offensive tackle? Yeah, I think he's got a great ceiling. Uh, I do think he's a little raw. I think he's a little too visual with some of his pursuit angles at times. And uh, I think there's some fundamentals from a footwork perspective in his pass sets. You see some false steps and some inefficient angles getting out of his stance, but he's got the athleticism that he has by and large at this point to his career, been able to recover from some of those technical lapses. So he's down a little bit further for me, not because I don't think he has a really high ceiling, but because I think the floor that you're starting with is lower than some of the guys in front of him. And I think you're really going to have to coach him up on some of the finer points of handwork and footwork at the next level. We should probably do a quick break. Cause I want to dig heavy into these running backs. Yeah. Let's get into the running backs with cool. Kyle Krabs of draft dudes and draft 
We talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side to the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. For Brian Peacock, too, I might add. You can go to calm.com slash locked on to get 40% off Calm Premium membership. LeBron James says getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. With Calm, you have access to the nature scenes LeBron loves like rain and leaves and so much more like sleep stories and meditations. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash locked on. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash locked on. That's calm.com slash locked on. Kyle, Matt and I on yesterday's show really were, and we've done it a lot, and I think Matt and I are in lockstep with the idea of running backs don't matter, kind of. I think I might be a little bit further down the road than Matt is even on that subject, and I think teams are out of their minds if they're drafting running backs in the top 10. We talked about tackles that are worth a very high pick in the NFL draft. Is there that stud running back in this class that maybe an old-school coach would look at and say, this is my bell cow, do it all back, that I'm going to draft in the top 10? I think there's a couple players that could fill that role, but not not in the top 10. You know, We've been doing mock drafts here at the Draft Network for all year long. It's it's part of what we do is our weekly staple of content. And, and throughout the entire course of the season and the bowl season, and now through the all-star circuit and the buildup to the combine, I've never really found a spot that I feel comfortable pegging an offense or a running back. And part of it is because of how good a lot of the rest of the classes, I think, you know, from the top down at, at most positions, this is a better class than we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, DeAndre Swift has been, kind of the consensus. I know Travis Etienne was there for some people before he surprised and went back to school. And Jonathan Taylor's been a guy for uh, some people who they've really coveted. He's got some ball security issues that he needs to iron out. And the big risers have been been J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU. But uh, you look at the running back free agency market, you look at the, the depth of the running back class this year, and I really struggle to justify top 10, top 20. You know, I could maybe see a team like Kansas City if they don't love some of the defensive players that are available to them at the end of the first round when they're picking. Like, that's really the only spot that I feel really comfortable pegging a running back as a, a team that has a lot of depth and can afford to make a luxury pick. But, you know, whether your, your choice is DeAndre Swift or J.K. Dobbins or Jonathan Taylor, I can't justify any of these guys going in the top 20. Don't you think part of the problem is, especially if you're doing mocks and those type of things, is I started to fiddle with my team needs, and I'm not sure, maybe one, maybe two, if you list every team's top three needs, running back's just not in there. You know, I mean, maybe Tampa could use one high, but they have other big needs as well. You know, I mean, you mentioned Kansas City, but it's hard to find landing spots, and it just gets a lot easier when you're in round two and we've seen so many good running backs be second and third round picks yeah matt you're absolutely right and and one of the things with the the mock draft simulator that we have at the draft network is we go in on the back end and we manually shift the team needs into tiers and that kind of justifies and, and helps the computer decide on who to select and i went i was in there the other day and i'm looking at them like 
nobody's got running back as a, as a yeah, prim- right. primary need for their team, you know, because it's generally speaking, very easy to find comparable production. And because it's so easy to find guys on day two that can come in and just knock it out of the park. So uh, I I've seen a couple analysts that have mocked Miami running back in the first round. And that is a team that because they have three first round picks, if they're able to keep the all three first round picks with a potential trade up to go draft to, to a tongue of Iola, I could see them being a team that does it because how bad the running game was this past year for Miami with Ryan Fitzpatrick being their leading rusher on the year, which yeah. tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> but um, other than that, man, it, it is such a struggle to find a team that is in such desperate need of just a back because yeah. there's so many other variables that go into a productive running game. Yeah, and Miami's the only – when I look at these mocks, Miami's the only one that they that anyone ever puts them at. And I understand that, but – if I was in charge of a rebuild, the last thing I would add is a running right. back, which means a year or two from now. So I do want to ask you about Jonathan Taylor, though. I mean, he, to me, if I was, when I was a kid, Jonathan Taylor might have been a top five overall pick. Big, fast workload. We don't care if you're just okay catching the ball. Um, those type of backs, I don't want to say Bo Jackson, but like that era when I was like 15 years old, those guys went super high, unbelievably productive. I know he has some warts in terms of fumbling, work in progress as a receiver, and a massive workload that scares me. But he seems like such a throwback. Yeah, for sure. And he's kind of he'll surprise some people with what he runs too, because you know he's got a little bit of a ta- track background, and you don't realize with how physical he is. He ran like a ten four in high school. Yeah, yeah, he's fast in the open <laughs> yeah. field. When he opens his strides, he can really get it going and. Uh, I think he, for I'm some, sorry, does he remind you of like Chubb or Fournette when you see those next gen stats and they were the fastest player when they get in open field, 220 pounds rolling downhill when they get in the open field, did they just get a high miles per hour? Yeah. It's, I think Chubb's a kind of a, a good comparable as far as the physicality that he runs with and what he's able to do in the open field to break some big runs. And Chubb was a guy who I was really high on coming out. I, I was a big fan of him. I believe I had him in the top 20 overall prospects in that year's NFL draft, uh, despite some medical questions. And the big thing for Taylor is the ball security. And of course, when your touch production is as high as it is for Jonathan Taylor, you're going to get inflated. Uh, you're going to get inflated touches. So you're going to have more opportunities to have that ball punched out. And nobody toted the rock over the last three years like Jonathan Taylor did. I mean, he in three seasons came within a couple hundred yards of the the official rushing record for a career, which is pretty, pretty impressive. He's around like a thousand touches, isn't he? Yeah, he's close. Yeah. Wow. Kyle, the combine's coming up really soon, which is still kind of weirding me out. Uh, Is there a running back that you think will turn heads at the combine? That guy that might make himself a lot of money. And even at another position, a a guy that you think might be the the one that everyone's talking about, like the DK Metcalf of this year's class. I'm hearing JK Dobbins could be that guy too. Yeah, I mean, he. I thought he looked so crisp this year versus 2018. You know, he's he's built low to the ground. He's super dense, uh, but I think he he looked very dynamic this year compared to past years, and um, I think he will be the guy who has the explosion numbers to kind of match uh, and, and generate some hype to match the production that he had with over 2,000 rushing yards this past year. Yeah. A guy I want to ask you about that I'm really intrigued with in a Maurice Jones-Drew type of way is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I mean, I look at him and think, 
he might be more than just a specialty player. I mean, can he, would you want him as your number one? I think he would pair really well in a thunder and lightning type dynamic. His Mm -hmm. contact balance is really good. Uh, he, where he surprised me the most was his lateral mobility when he's pressing the line of scrimmage. Uh, he's really patient to press up out of the mesh point and get up on the backs of those li- offensive linemen without overrunning it and kind of stopping his momentum completely. And then when he decides, I've got a gap that's open to me in an adjacent area, his ability to stick his foot in the ground and really spring out of that press to the line of scrimmage is so impressive. Uh, Obviously, he's made some really good finesse moves in the open field. He's been really tough to tackle. You go back, watch the Alabama game, which was a game this year I was actually fortunate enough to be at in person. And, like, I had to pick my jaw up off the floor. He's dragging guys for, like, five yeah. yards routinely because he's, he's listed at 5'8", 210. Or, and, you know, he's every bit of that density, but he's like a big ball of muscle. So I think he can be a feature back, but I do think it would benefit a team to have – uh, somebody who can give you a little bit of a, you know, if if he's the hammer, get a, get somebody who can serve as a little bit more of a change of pace to press the outside on runs. Okay, okay. Um, another one I wanted to ask you about is Zach Moss. And I've seen him ranked kind of all over the place. Seems like very mixed opinions. Frankly, I could kind of take or leave pro football focus with some of their things, but he's their number one back and a lot of it is yards after contact. I mean, that's just a stat that they have, and he excels in that area. Yeah, I think Moss is not going to be for everybody. Uh, he mm-hmm. won't be my top running back. For me, my top guys are you know, going to be some combination of the four names we've talked about with Swift, Taylor, Dobbins, and Hilaire. I also like Cam Akers a lot from Florida State as well. Moss, for me, is in that next tier down where okay. the contact balance is really good. I think he's you know he's not super creative, with the ball in his hands, but he's tough and he's tough to get, get, get a wrap up around his lower half because of how dense he is below the waist. He carries a lot of his weight and weight distribution in the spots that you want a running back to have it because it gives him that really good leg drive. Um, I think he brings you something to work with in the peripheral areas as well. And I mean, like pass protection skills and um, toughness. And, it, yeah. And, How's it and compared he, to David Montgomery? I think he's probably a little less dynamic than okay. David, but I think he's got a little better vision than what David did coming out of Iowa State. Okay, okay. Another name that I've start, just starting to hear buzz on, you've probably heard about him for years, is Anthony McFarland at Maryland. Mm-hmm. Is he starting to kind of get some steam? I think he's going to be a guy that tests really well. Okay. Uh, red, red shirt sophomore, he's listed at 5'9", uh, 200. And you go back and you watch, I believe it was the Ohio State 2018 game when they almost upset Ohio State. Uh, man, he, he can fly in the open field. He's super jitterbugging. He's kind of a joystick type runner where he can pinball in and out of traffic and break pursuit angles really well. Uh, but he's, I think you can, he definitely has that skill set. Okay. Where you can put him back there. And that's where Maryland had some success with him with quick swing passes and stuff like that, kind of creating that faux punt return type thing where they've cut the field in half. They've got half the guys out of the picture, just set up a couple blocks and make something happen. Okay. Dynamic player, not a a lead guy necessarily. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, My last name on the running back list that I just want to find more out about 
and there's buzz about him because he did so well at the Senior Bowl, is Joshua Kelly from UCLA. Yeah, he's kind of an under-the-radar guy. I, I appreciated the toughness that he ran with uh, at the Senior Bowl. He was really quick to press downhill. Uh, he was really tough to get a rap on at UCLA too, but I think the big surprise for me at the Senior Bowl was he looked like he had a little bit extra spring in his step than mm. what I had seen when I watched him at UCLA. Uh, Maybe time I, off helped them out. Yeah, I think so. And and that's really a challenge for some of these guys because, you know, if if you get into the wear and tear and if you're not quite fully right, but you're able to play from a distance, you don't really see that unless you get a chance to to talk to the program or talk to the player. So I think he was definitely a guy that benefited from a little bit of downtime and came in with fresh legs. Now the question is, where's your conditioning and why did we not see that throughout the course of your season at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Was he fighting an ankle or a hamstring or something that we just don't right. know about? You know, that, that's, that's hard. More on running back prospects coming up. Maybe a question about a quarterback with draft dude, Kyle Krabs. Kyle, I want to talk about the passing game when it comes to these running backs. So many committees now in the NFL, two, three deep now in players that are really involved in a game plan week to week. Is there that dynamic passing game receiving type of running back that might not even go in day two, maybe even a day three guy, or even someone who could be somebody who becomes a number one back for a team, but starts out as sort of a passing down third down back. Well, I think there's, there's a number of backs in this year's class that have some pretty significant pass catching totals. Uh, Eno Benjamin from Arizona state has 82 receptions for his career. Uh, he came in a lot smaller than what we anticipated at the Senior Bowl. He checked in at under 200 pounds, but if you watched him run, he's really physical. Had good contact balance. Uh, Cam Akers had 69 receptions throughout the course of his three seasons at Florida State. Uh, J.K. Dobbins had 71. DeAndre Swift had 73. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had 69. So you get into a lot. Of, it's interesting. A lot of the names at the top are the guys that you could at least make a case for being three down guys because they have pass catching skills. Uh, but if I was going to call out one more as a, a guy who uh, I really like for that role specifically, I'd call out Florida's LaMichael P. Ryan. Uh, he's listed at 5'11", 210. I think he's got really natural hands, and he is so aggressive with the ball in his hands that I think he's he's a guy who can be a weapon out of the backfield to match up and run away from linebackers and if you get him in zone coverage and he's going to square up on smaller guys playing out in the flats, he's really going to punish guys and create a lot of yardage. And you saw some of that when you watched his college tape. He's Samaji's brother, right? I believe so. Okay, I'm pretty sure. Um, I don't know if you know this answer, but if someone jumps out, great. If not, no big deal. But a lot of these guys struggle in protection. Like when you, you see it back drafted pretty high and you're saying, why aren't they using them? It's almost always because they don't trust them to, with ball security or more likely they don't trust them in protection. Like mm-hmm. I remember a rookie mini camp. I'm sitting right next to Jalen Samuels chatting with him, asking about protection. He's like, I've never protected my life. If we threw the ball, I ran, I ran around, you know? <laughs> so he had zero protection, you know, history when he entered the league and he's not alone with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, Does anyone I, come to mind that really worries you or stands out as just awful in that department? It's a hard thing to judge because if they are, they don't ask them to protect. Right. A lot of times it leaks into, you know, what kind of looks do they get elsewhere? I would say if mm-hmm. I wanted to call out guys in pass pro 
two guys that stand out to me that we've already discussed to some length that I feel good about. Yeah, that'd be, that's a better question. Uh, Cam Akers from Florida State Bruh. is one. He's got dog in him, and okay. he's not afraid to step up and really steepen those angles for runners coming through gaps in the middle. He doesn't always really secure the block with his hands, but he always brings a thump with his pads. And I appreciate that because playing at Florida State, it'd be really easy to get frustrated or complacent because the offense was so inefficient for so much of the season, but he brought the thump every single time. So I was impressed with him and Zach Moss being another one that I thought was really reliable, protecting inside gaps. He understood he had good awareness. If, you know, offensive lineman has to shift and all of a sudden the linebacker peels across and comes across the opposite a gap. He has the awareness and the the mobility in his feet to slide and the density to make that stick where a lot of these guys are willing, but a lot of these guys don't have the anchor to really hold up. They'll take the stick, but they'll either get discarded right away or they'll get collapsed back in the lap of the quarterback. Those were the two guys who I thought most consistently that I've watched so far this year held up the best in pass, bro. Okay. That's the way I should have phrased the question to begin with. That's, that stands out easier than those that can't because their yeah. coaches aren't going to ask them to. Yeah. Matt, I don't know if you have any more running back questions. I have one more just looking at the the content that Kyle has written here at the draft network. Do you have any more running back stuff before I change the subject really quick? I don't think so. Oh, I did want to ask about Vaughn out of Vanderbilt a little bit too. He doesn't really move the needle for me, to be honest with you. I think very banal as a prospect. Yeah. It's it's where does he hang his hat? And I really don't have a definitive answer for that. uh, As far as where I feel like he is going to have a translatable trait. He's a rock solid back, but that's, Rock solid back at the college level. Where do you win at the next level? And for for me, Vaughn is the one of all the names that we brought up to this point. I have the least confidence in what area he's going to definitively win at. By the way, everybody out there, draftnetwork.com isn't only solely focused on the draft. You can find out Kyle's got stuff up here about potential trade of Todd Gurley, which is a super interesting subject to me. Uh, The 2020 free agent class guard, Brandon Sheriff, who is uh, somebody who is about to cash in, I think. And the one I want to ask about here, Kyle is a draft prospect. And you talked about the ceiling and floor for Justin Herbert, and he had a great week at the senior bowl. And I think it helped himself out probably as much as anybody, just because of the position he plays. And earlier on in the season, when I watched quarterbacks, I thought Tua was obviously the guy. Then Burrow, the more I watched him, was like, oh, man, he's got so many great traits. And then Justin Herbert was the guy that, despite you know the arm and, and having that size, and you're like, this is what you want your quarterback to look like, there was something missing there. Do you think his week at the Senior Bowl was enough for him to even leapfrog someone like Tua who's dealing with all those injury problems to solidify himself as a no-doubt top 10 pick? Do you still have the questions you might have had about him coming into Senior Bowl week? Yeah, uh Herbert is a prospect for me who the structure of the senior bowl was always going to lend itself for him to perform very well, which is exactly what happened because he doesn't have to deal with some of the live bullets. And my biggest question with Justin Herbert is, does he have the innate intrinsic natural feel for the position? And when things get off script, how well does he handle those situations? And he's not, you don't have to worry about getting hit at the senior bowl. You know, obviously, the game is really the only scenario in which 
he would be tackled to the ground. And even then they have some restrictions as far as what kind of blended coverages you got to make. So it it doesn't happen that quick either. Right. You don't see a super quick processor. So Herbert, for me, the only way he passes Tua in my eyes is if a team that really wants to put stress on pushing the ball vertically down the field ends up picking ahead of a team like Miami or if Tua's medicals come back a complete flop. But if you have the promise of doctors feel very confident as of mid-April when the medical rechecks take place, that Tua is going to return to 100%, and then the question just becomes, okay, you know, there's some durability questions here, but the hip should be fine. I would be stunned if a team ends up drafting Herbert over Tua because one of the biggest criticisms about Tua was the fact that he played in this kind of dink and dunk, Steve Sarkeesian-influenced offense in 2019. But everybody forgets 2018 when Mike Loxley was there, they ran wide-open concepts and pushed the ball down the field a ton. And he was just as masterful in those concepts as what he was with some of the West Coast influence that were introduced in 2019. You're also a Dolphins guy in addition to draft. So this mm-hmm. obviously you know correlates with Tua and whatnot. So if it was up to you and you're the GM of the Dolphins, your medical staff comes back and says, we're not real concerned about Tua, but a redshirt year would really be ideal for the guy. Him and Herbert are on the board. Are you still taking Tua, even though you may not play him for the whole first year? I would. Uh, And the reason being is that they've got a good commitment from Ryan Fitzpatrick coming back. And Fitzpatrick, you know, everybody likes to make jokes about Fitzpatrick. But having seen a a lot of Ryan Fitzpatrick over the course of this past decade with him playing in New York and Buffalo for as much as he had and then coming to Miami, he might have had the best year of his career this past year based on Behind the that line. Line play, the right. lack of running game. I mean, he was he was very good for the last 10 games that Miami played this past year. So I'd feel totally comfortable. They brought in Chan Gailey to be the offensive coordinator there in Miami. He had Fitzpatrick had his best years prior to this past year with Chan Gailey in New York with the Jets. So let Fitzpatrick play 2020, no questions asked. We'll get a full redshirt year for Tua, and then let's really continue to build this roster and get it set for him in 2021. And how bad is Josh Rosen that he couldn't even get any run there more than Man. what did he get one start? And then they're like, nope, that's not going to cut it. Is that just Brian, Brian Flores saying, I don't care what this roster looks like. I want to win now. Or has Rosen really just done nothing to make people believe he can be an NFL quarterback? Yeah, that that's part of it. He got two and a half games worth of starts under his belt. And then they pulled him for Fitzpatrick. And, and from from what I had seen, Josh Rosen was nowhere near the player he was billed to be as far as pre-snap and pro-ready versus mm-hmm. what he was billed as coming out of UCLA. I mean, he, he got to Miami, and he didn't know how to call mics and set protections. And for a guy who was supposed to be pro-ready in a Chad O'Shea, New England Patriots-style offense where they give you full control at the line of the scrimmage, everything was happening after the snap so slow for him because – of how much he had to think in the pre-snap. He wasn't getting the team in the right plays because he'd never been asked to do that before. So to go back and he had five offensive coordinators in four years between UCLA and Arizona in his first first years being a pro, and now he's got Chad O'Shea and now Chan Gailey as offensive coordinators at Miami, it's just this really vicious cycle for Josh where he wasn't what he was billed at mentally as a football player, and there's been so much change for him all the way back to high school 
that he's never really been able to settle and simmer and marinate. And unfortunately, it's probably going to cost him a chance uh, to get a shot as a starting quarterback unless something drastic changes. Yeah, I mean, maybe four years from now after sitting behind Mm -hmm. somebody – we go, oh, yeah, I remember Josh Rosen. I liked him at UCLA. You know what I mean? But I can't see any opportunity for him in the near future. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of the feeling with Miami now is I'd be stunned if, if fans ask me all the time, you know, can we trade Josh Rosen? So who's going to trade for him? What yeah, what are you going to get for him? Nothing. Right. You, you would have to completely cut your investment. So the best chance that the Dolphins have now is to continue to develop him Hope they can build him up. Hope they can, whether it's spot starts throughout the course of the next couple of seasons when he's super cheap under contract, or if they get him in the preseason and he plays lights out and somebody gets hurt, then potentially you can try and flip him down the road and get something close to back what you traded for him, which was a late second round pick. I mean, I'm sure there's still many GMs that liked him coming out of school and would give you a fifth. What are you going to, you're not going to trade a fifth for? I mean, that doesn't do any good. Right. The value there for Josh is the fact that he's potentially, you know, if you commit to redshirting your rookie quarterback, Josh is a young backup quarterback with a talented arm that's costing you pennies on the dollar because you don't have to pay him any of the guaranteed money from his rookie contract. Right. That's that's the value that he brings Miami now. Yeah. And he has tools. Yep. That is Kyle Krabs of the Draft Dudes Podcast and thedraftnetwork.com. You can find him on Twitter at Grinding the Tape, aka the Grindfather, as he is known in some circles. And I'm excited about the mock draft machine. Kyle, can you tell the listeners how they can get involved with the TDN Premium membership? Sure. So we got a lot of cool features that are going to be rolling out with that. We debuted the uh, mock draft simulator around this time last year, and it had great success. And the big feedback that we got is hey, we want to be able to do trades in that. We've spent you know, the last six months or so developing something that we feel is based in reality, uh, where there's trade pick values and you have to manufacture trade packages that are somewhat realistic versus what experiences and, and trades have been done historically over the past decade or so. So it's a really fun exercise to kind of put yourself in a GM shoes. You have your picks at your disposal uh, via TDM Premium and make trades throughout the mock draft machine. You can trade up, you can trade down. We're planning on phasing in 2021 picks as well before the draft rolls around. So we're going to get a nice extra layer there. Uh, Some of the other features that we have there, we have an expert forum, which is really, really cool. It's a a Slack channel, uh, which you get an account and you can log in and you can interact with us on a daily basis. You can interact with like-minded draft nicks. And it's, it's become this really fun community. We've got probably four or 500 people that are active in it and they just chat all day long and it's a great place to post your mock drafts or ask questions or we dump all 22 film clips in there. So it's, it's a really cool spot. That's a little bit different flavor than what you might get on social media. And then we have some team specific draft guides coming out closer to the draft and stuff like that. So go to the draftnetwork.com. Uh, there's a prompt there to be the expert. We want to give you the information and let you be the expert of the draft in your own favorite team and use the tools that we provide, whether that's the trades or the, the expert form or the scouting reports that we have that are free to consume on the site and let you become the draft expert that you would like to be. Yeah, guys, trust me, it's an awesome site and all those tools are really come a long way. I, I highly recommend it to all. And, and Kyle, thanks so much. I hope to run into you at the combine, maybe buy you a cold one. Yeah, for sure. We'll be there. I'll be there Monday through Monday. So it shouldn't be hard to find. So that'd be great. Look forward to seeing you. Appreciate the time, Kyle.
Thanks, guys. Anytime. And folks, it is officially draft season. We'll be back Monday. That will be known as Mock Draft Mondays for the next three months or so. Right here, Locked On NFL.